Our theme for today is living in the unity of love and peace and delves into how we are called to reflect in our life together as Christians the unity of love and peace that exists between the three persons of the Trinity. Our reading for this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us now by your Holy Spirit that we might be strengthened in our faith and trust in Jesus, your Son, and that through Jesus we might be reassured that you are our loving Heavenly Father who forgives us and accepts us, who renews us in Jesus and empowers our lives by the Spirit and gives us hope. For life to come. So open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to your word now that we might praise you and that we might be strengthened in our Christian journey. In Jesus' own precious name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, today is Trinity Sunday. And because Trinity Sunday comes a week after Pentecost, which is one of the high festivals of the church year, Trinity Sunday suffers from the same problem as the Sunday after Christmas. And that's where all the excitement and the enthusiasm of the week before seems to overshadow the, the poor relation that comes a week later. Trinity Sunday also suffers uh, from the perception that a sermon on the Trinity will be all that boring doctrine stuff with little practical application to our daily lives as Christians. Well, I'm here today to tell you that that, in actual fact, is not the case. It's not true. The doctrine of the Trinity has at least three very important practical applications for our Christian lives. Now, I know that the average parish pastor, when it comes to Trinity Sunday, often avoids preaching on the Trinity because, well, it's quite challenging to communicate what it's all about. And so they figure that that's, oh, that's something best left to seminary professors. Well, I'm not sure that's true, but as luck would have it, you do have a seminary professor here today to walk you through all that. So let's see how that goes. In today's secular world, uh, 
people have all sorts of ideas about who God is and what God is like. God is usually talked about in very generic terms. And people tend to fill in the gaps about God according to their own preferences. So what you end up with is effectively a case of DIY religion and people worship the God of their own making and imagining and preference. And precisely that context, our confession of God as the triune God, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, clearly identifies which God it is that we worship and believe in as Christians. It's not enough to speak about God in merely generic terms. Rather, we believe in the Christian God, the God who has first revealed himself in the Old Testament as the covenant God Yahweh, the God who rescued his people in the Exodus, the God who gave his law to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, and who God who then faithfully guided his people and cared for them. The second practical application of the doctrine of the Trinity is a way that it acts as a summary of the gospel message. Our confession of the Trinity tells the story about our loving God and what he has done to save us. It's as basic as John 3.16, which many of you probably know off by heart. John 3.16 says, God, meaning God the Father, so loved the world, so loved you and me, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, and whoever believes in him, something that the scriptures elsewhere clearly teach, is only possible with the help of the Holy Spirit, those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Spirit shall not perish, but have eternal life. So what I'm reminding you all, friends, is that the core gospel message is fundamentally Trinitarian. It's grounded in our confession of God as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what he has done to save us. Now, I've developed a diagram of the Trinity. Georgie, it's not as good as what the kids are drawing over there, but I had a go. Um, up on the screen, this is what I share with my students at ALC when we talk about the Trinity. And so in this diagram, we have the Father begets the Son, and shout out to Jonathan, he wants to know what does begetting mean. Begetting means giving birth to. Don't understand that in a biological sense, but it's confessing the fact that Jesus is as much God as God the Father is God. So the Father in love begets the Son. The Father in love sends the Son. The Son in love comes and sacrifices himself for us. And then the same Father in love sends the Holy Spirit, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is breathed by Jesus over his disciples. 
that the Father and the Son and love send the Holy Spirit. That's the story of God's love reaching out into the world. And then the Holy Spirit renews us, creates faith in Christ and us, unites us to Christ in our baptism and in faith so that we might believe in Jesus and have life. And Jesus in turn then reconciles us, restores us to the Heavenly Father, brings us home to be with God. So the first part of the diagram in red is about God united in love and the blue part of the diagram is God bringing peace between God and us. Peace within us. Peace in our relationships with others. And that is all in the shape of the infinity symbol. Right? That thing. It's only got two loops. If you do three, you get the ABC logo. <laughs> okay. The infinite love of God. That's who God is. The God who loves us as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and brings peace through the Spirit in Christ to God the Father. That's who God is. In 1 John 4.16, it tells us explicitly, God is love. That's who he is. God is love. No, not merely that God is loving. Now, of course, God is loving, and gloriously so. But much more than that, we confess that love lies at the very heart of God. And love defines not merely what God does, but who God is. God is love. That's the trying God we confess, that we trust, that we worship. So this infinity illustration is attempting to communicate both who the trying God is, the God of infinite love, the God who loves you with an infinite love. How big is God's love for you? This big, this big, big. We we can't measure it. We can only put the infinity symbol there because it's that big. God loves you with an infinite love. And that's who God is. And as well, this illustration is attempting to show how the trying God has reached out to save us. It tells us the story of God in love sending his son to bring peace and reconciliation. And all of that is available to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The point being, the Trinity clearly identifies who God is and summarises the story of salvation. And friends, that's Christianity 101. This is not some esoteric doctrine reserved for ivory towers of academia. Now, this is the heartbeat of everyday Christianity. It's the focus of our worship and our lives as followers of Jesus. We believe in that God. By the way, 
especially for those of you who are involved in choosing songs for worship and preparing the worship orders we use here at Good Shepherd. If the Trinity is the summary of the gospel, which it is, then if we want our worship to be truly gospel-centred, then it ought to have a clear Trinitarian flavour about it. Not just on Trinity Sunday, but every Sunday of the church year. I'll leave that to you involved in that part of ministry as something practical to follow up on in terms of the songs you select, in terms of the wording you choose for the liturgy. third practical application of the doctrine of the Trinity is brought out in the Bible reading we heard before from Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. This passage and the doctrine of the Trinity itself calls us as Christians to reflect in our relationships with one another the Trinity's divine life of love and peace. As the body of Christ, as people whose lives are defined and shaped by who Jesus is and the story about how God has reached out in love and brought peace, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, friends, to live by the love of Jesus. And thankfully, thankfully, we're also forgiven each day for Jesus' sake when we fail to live up to that, even though we ought to. We are empowered friends by the Spirit to live in the unity of love and peace that Jesus has taught us, and we do it all to the glory of God the Father. And so our life together as Christians, our Christian discipleship, is also thoroughly Trinitarian. Who would have thought? Now, to put it another way, a mark of healthy Christian community and a springboard for effective mission and witness to the world around us, when we show the same love and acceptance, the same compassion and patience, the same kindness and willingness to forgive each other that Jesus has first shown to us, then that's a recipe for healthy Christian community and effective Christian witness. Many of you are familiar with the Jesus' words in John 13, 34, when Jesus says, and he says this right before he's about to be crucified. So he says at a pivotal moment in his ministry as kind of a summary and saying, well, I've, I want you to remember this is a big important thing before I go away. It's a bit like when you left home and mum said, as you're walking out the door, oh, don't forget your lunch, Richard. Right? That's kind of that sort of thing. Jesus is leaving and he says this. 
A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And friends, that's true, that's the case, irrespective of whether you have a pastor resident here or not, or whether you're in a time of vacancy. Something to think about. Friends, when our relationships with each other reflect the same love and peace that characterises the relationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit within the Trinity, when that happens, the world can't help but notice. Your family and friends can't help but notice. And that's when we not only confess the Trinity by what we say, but we confess the Trinity by the way that we live by his love. God, in his mercy, grant that to every last one of us. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.